Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Welcome to Gen Z Lab. Really excited today about our guest joining us, Greg Steer, founder and CEO of Dare to Share Ministries, and obviously so many great resources. It's an evangelism training ministry, uh, which I love to see. And Greg, you've, you've been doing this for 20 years, right? You've done this. 28 years. 28 years. 28 years. I am old. I am old. Vintage. 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 Everything's going right. throwback right that's now, right? right? That's so that, that's, that's what right. you, you've trained literally a, a million teens in this stuff and yeah. how to share their faith and mm-hmm. how to share the gospel. So really excited about this because where we're at as a culture right now with Gen Z is, you know, only about 4% has a biblical worldview. Mm. There's a lot of confusion out there. There's just even people that still have some of the terms of God or Jesus or Bible anymore. The content of that is so confused. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited to have a conversation about what does it look like for us to help, especially teenagers and Gen Z, um, share the gospel in light of this cultural moment, this post-Christian culture that we're in. And so I'd love to hear just real quick, though, as we begin, why did you become so passionate about what you're doing and, and where did that start? Well, you know, I was an inner city kid, fatherless kid, didn't, you know, my, my family was very violent. Hmm. Uh, we were raised in the highest crime rate. Uh, area of our city, Denver, and a preacher from the suburbs reached out to the city and shared the gospel with my toughest uncle, my uncle Jack, mm-hmm. who'd been in prison, in and out of jail, radical conversion. My uncle Bob, radical conversion in the back of a squad car. I could, I mean, my whole family, mm-hmm. like the sons of anarchy, right? <laughs> totally transformed by the power of the gospel. Wow. And this preacher, whose nickname was Yankee, even though he spoke with a southern accent, <laughs> this sounds totally made up, but it's true. Um, he had a killer youth ministry. He believed the fastest way to reach a city for Christ was through the youth. And so we had 300 adults in his church, 800 teenagers in the youth ministry. 90% of them, I would say at least, came to Christ from teenagers reaching their friends with the gospel. So I got into this youth ministry and evangelism was normal. Sharing your faith, making disciples was just the way that you rolled. Mm-hmm. And uh, saw that, you know, my family transform, a neighborhood transform, I mean, a city shaken with the power of the gospel. And when I was 15 years old, I went to Yankee and I said, hey, why don't we train other churches how to do this? And he was, you know, he's too busy doing it as well. Knock yourself out. So I got <laughs> on the phone, got a hold of Community Baptist Church. I rode my bike there on Wednesday, shared, trained them how to share the gospel, and kind of been riding my bike ever since. I yeah. planted a church in 1989, started Dare to Share on the side in 1991, was doing them both. Um, and April 20th, 1999, the Columbine High School shooting took place. Mm-hmm. My wife's a teacher in the same district. I knew a lot of the kids at Columbine High School, and God used that to you know, call me out full-time to energize the church, to mobilize youth, to gospel, what we call gospelize their world. And so since, you know, 20 years, I've mm-hmm. uh, been doing this full-time uh, with Dare to Share, 28 on the, you know, eight of those on the side. So it's it's a, been a journey, and I love it, and it's desperately needed. 
It is desperately needed. And just on a personal note, you know, actually, I actually came to Christ through events similar to what you yeah. lead in the organizations you're part of, where a person was praying for me. I was on his most wanted list and, and ended up sharing the gospel with me. And that's how, as a junior in high school, I yeah. came to know Christ. So and, you, you, it was called SEMP, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And in Chicago. Yep, in yeah. Chicago. And you came to Christ through that. And then we, we kind of joined forces with them. And we call it Lead the Cause now. So that's what we're doing. Kids, uh, teenagers uh, on Friday will be writing a letter to their friends, just like somebody wrote a letter to you. Yeah, and they wrote a letter to me. And actually, it never got to me. And so he actually, we went and grabbed <laughs> some wings. And he just, hey, are, are you a Christian? And he just began to share the gospel with wow. me. Wow. I'm forever grateful for yeah. that. And then yeah. I went very the next year and was trained and learned how to do that and, and learn how to share my faith. And so that is awesome. this is really, really important. So let's talk at the beginning. Most people are terrified to share yeah. their faith. Why, why don't you think people in general share the gospel? Well, I think they are terrified. Uh, a lot of times um, they don't know how to bring it up. If somebody says, boy, it's hot in here, do you say it's hot in hell too? You know, you know. how do you make <laughs> you that know. transition towards yeah. spiritual things? Right. And, you know, evangelism kind of got this rap, you know, where it's the guy in the street with the bullhorn and mm-hmm. a repent sign. And, and that's just not, not for me. It's for Billy. It's for the professionals or it's for the crazy people. Hmm. And uh, it's not normalized in, a, in church culture and youth ministry culture. Uh, it's an event that you bring people to. Right. Okay. Uh, so you bring your friends out to an event where somebody, a professional, will give the gospel. But that making it an event keeps it from becoming a movement. Because hmm. a movement is when our students are all actively engaging their social circles with the gospel. So I think fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not not knowing how to bring it up, how to how to explain it clearly. Mm-hmm. There's a big what if problem like what if I had a teenager last night said what do we do if somebody asks us a question we don't have the answers to so there's mindset you have to know all the answers first mm-hmm. uh, and so there's a, and I think Satan is doing everything he can in his you know army of demons to keep our mouths shut mm-hmm. as believers so also I think we're in a culture where everything's accepted except for the declarative statement that Jesus is the way the truth the life that no one comes to the father except through him right and so to bring in that, you know, exclusive message, right, mm-hmm. into a culture that, that boasts about being inclusive, except for that exception, uh, it's, it's more of a challenge. And uh, there's, there's a risk factor. You could lose friends. You could, mm-hmm. you know, you could be mocked or marginalized. In some countries, you can get, you know, mangled and murdered. Right. But in the United States, it's probably mockery and, and keeps people quiet. Yeah, well, well, let's connect the dots in some ways to students in this idea of discipleship yeah. and sharing the gospel. Yep. Talk about um, the connection there. Yeah, there's a mindset that uh, if if my teenagers, because I'll talk to people about Dare to Share, youth leaders, and say, hey, you're going to bring your kids out to Dare to Share so they can get trained. And they're like, well, I don't know if my kids are ready for that yet. And so what I always say is, okay, so they need more Bible study? Yeah, more, more Sunday school? Yeah, more theology? Yeah. How's that worked out for the adults in your church? And pretty much you win the argument because um, what happens is, is we pour milk into the sponge, the milk of God's Word into the sponge of their mind, right? But if they don't squeeze it out, that milk spoils. Hmm. And so I think taking in truth and theology is vital, but we need to squeeze it out to others through making disciples. And when we, we separate those I think we need to make the 401 class, evangelism in the typical church is the 401 class. We mm-hmm. need to make it the 101 class. Okay. Um, because what's the, what's the call of Jesus uh, to be a disciple, right? He's mm-hmm. a, you got to pick up your cross, die, yep. to yourself, die to yourself, and follow me. Right. That first death is not a physical death, it's a social death. 
And so even, even baptism in the early church was a public, in a public place on the southern steps of the temple. There's mitvahs that are built into those Jewish baptismal built into the, uh, into the stairs. That, I mean, people going into the temple saw their peers baptized there saying, Jesus is Lord. You know, if you look at the NIV text notes in Romans 10, that was the, that was most likely the baptismal confession. Jesus is Lord. So your first act as a believer was a micro proclamation of the gospel in front of family and friends and strangers Mm -hmm. that I'm identifying as a Christ one. And that, I mean, that risk was a risk of social death, and it accelerated the spiritual maturity of these new believers. Instead of waiting until they're ready, mm-hmm. they just kind of plunge them in, so to speak, into that proclamation. And then that social aspect of it, it's like, okay, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. Like yeah. that's that's who I am. Exactly. And that's the connection, discipleship. You know, that's that's part of that daily yeah. thing that they do. That it's a daily following of Jesus. Yeah. And so let's talk about then how do we get clear on what the gospel is. I know you developed kind of a way of thinking about that, <clears throat> yeah. kind of that framework. So he introduces to kind of a way to think about this that's transferable, it's clear when yep. it comes to understanding and sharing the gospel. So what we found is if you don't really train teenagers on the gospel message, right, then whatever method you use may fall short. Okay. But if you train them in really what we call gospel fluency, mm-hmm. right, then almost whatever method they use will be fine because they understand the gospel message, right. you know. And so we use an acrostic at Dare to Share to kind of explain the whole story of the gospel from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. And we actually have students memorize it. It's G-O-S-P-E-L. G is God created us to be with Him. You know, God made us to be in relationship with Him. Genesis 1 and 2, God made Adam and Eve to be in perfect relationship with each other, with creation, uh, the environment, with God Himself. And it was, you know, it was heaven on earth, so to speak. Then O, our sins separated us from God. They broke the command of God and they're, you know, became sinful in their nature. And every baby born ever since, except for Christ himself, has been born depraved and deprived of that ability to please God through their, through their good deeds. And S is sins cannot be removed by good deeds. So you see that from Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, you know, that Cain trying to please God by, by bringing vegetables that he worked hard to grow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and from the, the blood, sweat, and tears, the blood of Countless sacrifices, the sweat of trying to obey the 613 Old Testament commands, the tears of contrition when we fail to do. I mean, they fail. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. It's like putting white frosting on burnt cake, right? Hmm. P, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus, fully God, fully human, lived a perfect life we couldn't live, died on a cross, you know, for our sin in our place, Hmm. and paid the price. Uh, Then rose again three days later, proving who he was, right? And then E, Everyone who trusts in Him alone has eternal life. Book of John, 98 times, it uses the word believe or trust, is what it means, rely upon as a sole requirement for salvation. And then L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that from Acts of Revelation. You know, the quantity of eternal life and the quality, quality of eternal life. So we have students actually memorize G-O-S-P-E-L, and we describe it like learning chords on a guitar. You know, you don't just pick up a guitar and start playing. Mm-hmm. And a kid's not just going to start sharing the gospel fluently. Like it's going to be a little awkward at first, but then once they get it down, they can mm-hmm. kind of make it their own, right? right? So we, we start with gospel urgency. So why is it important to share the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And 
We talk about, you know, the, the command of Christ. We talk about compassion for the lost. We talk about the reality of heaven and hell. And, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever kind of pulls that trigger for motivation for them, then gospel fluency. What is the gospel? Now, let's, let's memorize it, right? Let's mm-hmm. make sure we have it down. And then we move to gospel strategy. How do I bring it up? Yeah. Right? What do I say? And so there's kind of the traditional approach, diagnostic questions, which which a lot of organizations use, which I'm 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 for anything that engages people in the <laughs> anyway, gospel. Yeah. That's right. But we um, we teach students uh, at our full week training. Uh, we use three words: ask, admire, admit. So ask a, a ton of questions. Get to know somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. Get to know what they believe spiritually. Admire what you can. Start with common ground, like like Paul did in Acts 17, mm-hmm. right? Admire what you can and then admit the reason you're a Christian is you're so messed up you needed Jesus to save you. Like Paul said, you know, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. And um, what we found is with this culture, that kind of that humble approach, you know, kind of Acts 17, use apologetics at the end mm-hmm. instead of the beginning, that it opens up conversation and honesty, and you're able to communicate that message of the gospel and then deal with apologetic questions along the way. So yeah. that's okay. kind of what we how yeah, we train. Yeah, that's super helpful. And so we actually were just, just talking about this. You've actually started using a question when you train students to go out and just engage with people yeah. to, to start a conversation. Say, say a little bit about that, um, asking them sure. you know, about praying and, and, and why that's a powerful way to maybe get into it. Well, yeah. Last week in Chicago, we were at kind of the Lead the Cause, formerly SEMP, yeah. and taking students out uh, to engage. And we had them try just um, a question of, hey, we're here with a group of teenagers from all across America, and we want to pray for the city of Chicago. Is there any way I can pray for you? And we were really surprised how many people just opened up to that. Mm-hmm. And even atheists were like, well, I don't believe in God, but there is something just in case. You almost yeah. like, And then that kind of let their guards down a little bit to engage about a, a more serious gospel conversation. And so, so then they could use their ask, admire, admit yep. if that was open, if that was an yeah. open door there. Yeah. And then they'd be prepared with the gospel acronym if those doors were open, if they were understanding to try to, hey, well, you know. So walk walk somebody through yeah. like a conversation, you know, because people people think this is a really can be a very complicated thing. But mm-hmm. talk about like a family member, a friend, a coworker, yeah. you yeah. know, classmate. Just just maybe start at the beginning and just kind of what would a conversation just kind of walk that through? You know, I you know it's interesting. I'll, I'll give you some examples, but it's interesting. I think if you just talk to people and you're praying, God, open up this door, mm-hmm. and you just get to know people. You'll see kind of the the fork in the road opportunity, right? Yeah. And um, like Riley, a barista at the Starbucks I frequent, you know, I just talk to her, you know, every day, how you doing? She called me Preacher Man. I don't think she knew my name for a long time. Hey, what's up, Preacher Man? <laughs> so she knew early on I was a believer in Christ, and I've talked to her, how you doing? It was always a long line. And I would try to begin the gospel conversations, like, you go to church anywhere? But it was just so busy. Yeah. So I just prayed, Lord, open up a door. And one day she asked me, she goes, hey, I got a question for you, preacher man. My aunt just died of a brain aneurysm. How does God explain that? Hmm. I go, there's a line. I'm like, um, when's your break? So she told me, I said, we'll meet, I'll be here. So we talked uh, for 30 minutes, you know. But I think it's when somebody knows you're a believer, mm-hmm. you automatically, in a weird way, kind of become a priest. Like, they start like opening up when they have a question or if they have something in their life, they'll go to you because they know, man, you, you, you have a connection with God. I don't. 
Um, so that's, that's one example, you know, my, another example is my uncle Richard was not a pleasant example. He did not believe in God. He thought my whole family went crazy when they came to Christ. And I mean, I remember I tried to bring it up. He shut me down. You know, it's, you know, my, my grandpa's funeral, I tried to bring it up. You know, it was easy. Just boom. I wrote him a letter because he lived in Arizona. We're in Denver and sent it to him and called him the next week. Uh, and he just shut me down again. Didn't want to talk about it. It took 12 years of praying and conversations and my uncle's trying to share Christ with them. He finally, he got stage four cancer and he came in and finally was ready to engage. But it took, you know, 12 years of praying and mm. awkward conversations and trying to bring it up and getting shut down, but just continuing to love him no matter what. So ask, admire, admit, it's a great three word thing to kind of, you know, go with. But it really, the first person we need to ask is God. God, just open the hearts of mm-hmm. of this person and uh, you know these people and and allow those conversations to happen and just engage just mm-hmm. talk and it, when you talk I mean I think walls come down oh, that's awesome yeah so talk about the excitement and energy that happens when students get to start doing this and they yeah. go out and actually have these conversations say a little bit about that and then we'll yeah. talk about what does it look like to kind of create a culture sure that does this but talk about the end of it. it's like what happens when you see I'm sure you see those oh yeah when those lights come on and well it's we call it, we actually have a name for it at dear to share it's called the sound of evangelism so when students we do a we do a simulcast called dare to share live which is in a hundred cities across the United States where kids and we hear this from every one of the MCs and hosts that when students come back from, they collect canned food for local rescue missions and then try to engage uh, people in gospel conversations along mm-hmm. the way. When they come back, it's a literal dance party hmm. because they're so excited. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of that passage when the 72 come back and they, you know, even the demons come out, you know, when they, you know, in your name. And, uh, and, and Jesus used that as a teaching time because Great, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Whoopity-doo. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He uses it to teach, Hmm. you know. And it's a great time of debriefing and unpacking theology and, hey, this guy asked me this and what about this? So, but, But as exciting as that is, let me tell you what's more exciting. When students are looking at every day as a missional opportunity and are coming back from school and talking to their parents about, hey, I got a chance to talk. My, my son, two nights ago, he called me up. He said, Dad, he's got a friend he's been working on. And he goes, she came back and she talked to me. She said, I'm tired of kind of hanging out with this pack of friends. I sense in you guys, you love me and, and you believe in God. And I don't, but I want to rejoin this because I feel a genuine love there. And that kind of unpacking of real life mm-hmm. is when you know it's not just an event, it's a movement. And that's what we want in our homes mm-hmm. with our kids, right? Yeah. That's what we want in our youth groups. That's what we want in our Christian schools. Yeah. So we have to normalize risk. I have a friend named Brian Abbey who was a youth leader for years up in Seattle. He, they all came to our full week training, lead the cause, and they all had a hashtag, normalize risk, hmm. that they'd written in Sharpie. And I said, what does that mean? He said, we want gospel conversations to be so normal that we've normalized risk. And it doesn't seem like a new thing mm-hmm. or an event. It just seems like the way that we breathe yeah. is we're engaging in gospel conversations. That's what you read of in the book of Acts, mm-hmm. right? Everybody, I mean, Spirit of God, isn't it weird in Acts 2 how the Spirit of God appears as a tongue of fire, hmm. which is just an odd, like a tongue? <laughs> of all the things, yeah. He set their tongues on fire with the gospel. 
And I think that's why the Spirit of God appeared like that. He sets our tongue on fire mm. for the gospel. We have to work at keeping him quiet. You know, he's here to testify. Mm-hmm. And so I just think if we want to see our kids grow, we got to see them go. And we got to train them and equip them to do that. We give them the tools to articulate that. And give them some quick wins and some and some good first steps and next steps and clarity. Exactly. Encouragement. Yeah. You know, we're in this together, you know, and really make it normal. So talk yeah. about what does it look like? You've, you've kind of coined this phrase of gospelize. Yeah. You know, what, what are you getting after when you talk about that? And yep. what does that look like for, you know, a church youth group or, yeah. you know, a school or a family? Or yep. like, what, what does that look like as we try to help Gen Z and help our students become normal? They see this as normal as, yeah. as sharing the gospel as a part of my discipleship and relationship with God and Jesus. Yeah, creating that culture of mm-hmm. disciple making, right? Yeah. Um, 2013, we did a massive research project with hundreds of churches, and we found seven values that were present in every youth ministry that was seeing 25% new conversion growth per year or more, mm-hmm. which is really good. Yeah, Cross-checked it with a 1,000 pastors and youth pastors in roundtable, 10 different cities, different demographics from Presbyterian to Pentecostal, from urban to suburban, mm-hmm. th- double thumbs up. Cross-checked it again with the Book of Acts mm-hmm. and then the Gospels. Right. These seven values somehow were missing in typical youth ministry and mm-hmm. typical church as well, which is a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. But they were, it's basically creating that culture where evangelism thrives and is normalized, yeah. right? Number one was not evangelism. Number one was intercessory prayer. So creating a culture where your students are praying for the lost. They're praying for their lost friends who don't know Christ. Where the leaders are praying for their lost friends. Or praying, interceding, you know, that intercession comes from the Latin word, which means I go between. So it's a go between them and the danger. I was attacked by two German shepherds when I was about nine or 10 years old. And this little old lady, while I'm getting attacked, comes out and just cracks, cracks one with a baseball bat, stands between me and the danger, you know, swinging the bat. That, she was my intercessor, right? Mm-hmm. With a bat, right? Yeah. And we are to be intercessors, and so are our students. I got a friend who's a retired Navy SEAL, 28 years Navy SEAL. Uh, became a youth pastor at McLean Bible Church and uh, didn't really know where to start. So he read Gospel Eyes. Mm-hmm. He was just kind of doing the programs, read Gospel Eyes, like, okay, I'm going to operationalize these seven values. And that's exactly what he did. He started with intercessory prayer. And he said, it's, he bought a black Toyota truck. And uh, he said, I bought a Toyota, black Toyota truck because I didn't, never see one on the highway. Now I see him everywhere. As soon as I bought one, I see him everywhere. He goes, it's my theory of prayer. When you pray for the lost, you see the lost. When our students pray for the lost, they see the lost. Then secondly, and I'll crank through these, relational yeah, evangelism, yeah. teenagers reaching their own peers with the gospel. You know, The neighborhood of a teenager is their phone. That's, mm-hmm. This is their friends. This is their connection. So yeah. equipping them to reach their neighborhood with the gospel, right? Um, moving from a quarterback, well, you bring your friends out and watch me throw the touchdown pass, mm-hmm. to a coach. I'm going to equip you to throw the touchdown pass, mm-hmm. right? Then leaders fully embrace and model it. So they, uh, the youth leader or the parent or the educator is modeling it, student leaders, adult leaders, that this is part of what they do. There's a disciple multiplication strategy in place, a bold vision in place. They're measuring biblical outcomes, right? Not just attendance, but really what difference are we making? You know, how many disciples are we making and multiplying? And then finally, ongoing programs reflect it. So we're our, our priorities are reflected, not just on a wall when you walk into the building or on a website or on a pamphlet. They're reflected in my program. Mm-hmm. And my weekly schedule, my annual calendar. 
Yeah. Um, and so I wrote a book called Gospelize Your Youth Ministry based on these seven values, based in the book of Acts. And we're seeing man, thousands of youth groups kind of say, yes, we want that as our operating system. And globally, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. 90,000 youth leaders outside the U.S. access daretoshare.org for some of these training tools and resources last year. So we're, Praise God. you know, it's, we did, we're not that smart. We just discovered these values. We didn't develop mm-hmm. them. Right. And we're seeing God just blow it up because it's his stuff. And that's so helpful because, again, Mm. clarity, encouragement, next steps, but then, okay, what are we going to do to build this in so it becomes normal? Yeah, and and that's that's huge. You know, one one sometimes a question that gets a little pushback, especially in light of where we are culturally in some ways, is okay. Well, isn't that just about saving people's souls? Yeah, and it's disconnected from doing good or justice or helping, like. Tie those two together. Yeah. I know that's a powerful part of your story. I mean, yeah. remember you wrote a blog about that and just shared some of that. Bring those two together because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about as if somehow there's an either or dynamic yeah. on some of this. But but speak to that. So I was talking to this. I'll give you an example. So I'm talking to this guy, <clears throat> and it was back when the kind of the emergent movement was was thriving, and there was a lot of you know kind of liberal Christianity just really struggling through basic theological questions and stuff, and. And really push, pushing back against evangelism. I mean, he, we walked out of this youth pastors conference. It was in Atlanta. And he said, you're Greg Steer with Dare to Share. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm with this group. And I go, oh. He goes, I've heard a lot about you. I go, all bad? He goes, yep. <laughs> and I go, well, okay. Well, you know what I'm about, right? I'm Dare to Share guy. What are you about? He goes, I'm about the kingdom of God. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? He goes, you know, feeding the poor, taking care of the homeless, you know, stopping human trafficking. I'm like. Okay. I said, great. I'm, I'm for all that. What about the gospel? He goes, well, that is the gospel. I'm like, okay, now we got a situation. I go, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been poor? American poor. He goes, what do you mean? I go, apartment complexes, trailer courts, food stamps. He goes, no. I could tell he'd never been American poor. I said, I was raised American poor, except for my mom was too proud for food stamps, right? And I came to Christ as a kid, and if you ask me as an eight-year-old, if I could have all my mom's bills paid, house built, best education, or Jesus, if that was the choice, I'd have chosen Jesus in the New York Minute. And so would most of the genuinely converted poor people I know. I say, you got to be careful talking about poverty like you know what you're talking about. Because people who've been poor now know Christ, you just sound ignorant. Hmm. And to his credit, he backed up and re- started rethinking everything. We had an hour-long conversation. It was actually really, really good. I was proud of him. I told him, I'm proud of you. Let the Word of God be your guide, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there's this mentality that that somehow those have to be disconnected. They don't have to be disconnected. I tell, I tell students, the gospel, the Great Commission, is the ultimate cause to make and multiply disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Here's your cause. Mm-hmm. Here's your mission, Right. Everything else is a subset of that, but an important subset. So I would say to a student, hey, you know, give, give bread to the hungry and give them the bread of life. Give water to the thirsty and give them the living water. Build a, build a homeless house on earth and build them one in heaven. Stop human trafficking and stop soul trafficking. And, and one, you know, it's kind of a prayer, care, share approach. You pray for people, you care for people, you share the gospel with people, yeah. right? Uh, but if we stop short of sharing the gospel with them, there's really, there's no Jesus. There's no ultimate justice. You know, poverty is not the absence of money. It's the absence of hope, as someone once said. And I fully believe that. The hope that only Jesus can bring. Yeah, And that's so helpful to bring those together. And because we can do both, we need to do both. Yeah. 
but sometimes I feel like we, we stop short of encouraging people to, to risk those hard conversations and clarify the gospel in that and invite them to consider following Jesus. Exactly, because I think, you know, Jesus said, you know, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'm ashamed of you before the Father in heaven. And it's a pretty intense statement. Mm. I think a lot of Christians are ashamed of, of Christ and his gospel. And man, I like what Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let's not be ashamed. Let's raise up unashamed kids, not obnoxious. My goodness, please no. Loving, kind conversations, not presentations, Mm -hmm. kids that are fueled by the love of Jesus Christ and the joy of Christ, Mm -hmm. but to articulate that message clearly. I love it. I mean, we could talk all afternoon. This is such good stuff. Uh, where can people find out more about some of the resources yeah. that you've offered? I know you've got podcasts and different things where you're helping people really put this into practice. So share a couple of things that people can do. Yeah. So we have daretoshare.org, which is our website. Tons of free tools and resources. It's number two, daretoshare.org. And then on um, iTunes, you know, wherever podcasts are found, yeah. Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer, and it's I-Z-E, Gospel Eyes with Greg Steer. And it's for specifically designed for youth leaders to help them really strengthen mm-hmm. that gospel-advancing, disciple-multiplying DNA. Uh, you know, we're like Liam Neeson and Taken. We have a very particular set of skills, right? Mm-hmm. And it's to help youth ministries thrive when it comes to making and multiplying disciples. I love it. And so one last question I'd love to ask our guests is yeah. just, you know, if you could go back and and talk to your 18-year-old self or your 16-year-old self, what's one thing maybe in your story that God's been writing and teaching yeah. you? What would you what would you say to you as a teenager? Um, if you had that opportunity to do a little time travel and head back. I'm going to do two things. Okay. One is take the Dave Ramsey course. <laughs> I'd have done that. <laughs> but the number one thing is uh, prayer. Um, I, it took the Great Recession f- for me uh, to really learn how to pray um, out of desperation because uh, I thought our ministry was going to implode because we mm-hmm. lost a lot of our donors when that hit in 2008. And I feel like for 40 years I was throwing dirt clods at Satan and I discovered a bazooka in the closet. Hmm. And so the power of prayer and intercessory prayer and the importance of it. It's awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for your work and laboring in the gospel and getting to co-labor together. So excited about what God is doing. And uh, let's go out there and, and, and get, get these students equipped to share the gospel to the next generation. So thanks for being with us today. So glad to be here. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.